Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Coming up later in the show, my conversation with Ryan Kerrigan, which I had earlier in the week at his golf tournament to benefit the Leukemia Foundation. And in a few minutes, Bram Weinstein's gonna join me. We're gonna talk a little bit about Dwayne Haskins. I'm gonna answer one important grilling question as well. But first, ESPN Sal Palantonio joined me to talk about the Redskins as well as the NFC East. Here's our conversation. Thanks for joining me, Sal. I'm going to start with this. I saw you out at Redskins Park on Saturday for that rookie minicamp. I don't remember the last time you were there. When's the last time you were out at Redskins Park? I think it was when the Redskins last went to the postseason. I do believe it was, and I held up a towel that said, Beat Dallas. (laughs) It was a a burgundy and gold towel that was being handed out to the fans, and I held it up on SportsCenter. And I think if you go on YouTube or if you go on, if you Google me and look for pictures, it's one of the top pictures that people look at, <laughs> me holding up a beat Dallas burgundy and gold towel. That was probably from the from Robert Griffin III's rookie season, that because that last game was against Dallas, where if they win, they're in. And that's when Alfred Morris had a great game, too. So That I, is it. That is okay. exactly the last time I was there. Man. So what makes Dwayne Haskins so compelling to you? Well, he makes compelling television because, you know, A, the story of Dwayne Haskins, how he lit it up in his last year at Ohio State, and then uh, how, you know, he sort of, quote-unquote, dropped to the Redskins when the Giants passed over Haskins and took Daniel Jones with the number six pick. And then the post pick interview that he did with us on ESPN when he said the league done messed up yeah. uh, you know that that's a pretty memorable quote that's sort of like that's a clown question bro that's going <laughs> to live on for a long time and I'm shocked actually John that that is not on a towel somewhere or it won't be week one if, if Dwayne Haskins starts week one that better be on a towel or a t-shirt the league done messed up with a number seven under it. I think on Twitter you would find that on a T-shirt somewhere. I know I've seen that. I forget by who, but absolutely. And oh, I'll tell you this. <laughs> if I'm covering the Redskins home game, and let's say Haskins by some measure starts against the Eagles and then beats them week one, I will be holding up one of those T-shirts at FedEx <laughs> Field when, when Dwayne Haskins starts the home opener for the Redskins. And you you are out there. Do you think that's possible? I do. Why is that? I do. I think the momentum is 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 pointing in that direction uh, with a bullet. I think they want to get him ready for Week One. I think they know in the NFL, especially at the quarterback position, the future is now. You know, there are lots of examples of where quarterbacks sat and Rodgers, but he was sitting behind a Hall of Famer. And there are a lot of examples where guys were thrown into the fire uh, with Peyton Manning being one of them. He was a first-round pick. And there are a lot of examples where guys sat for a little while and then started midway through the season, like Eli Manning taking over for Kurt Warner. Every situation is unique. I think in this particular case, there seems to be 
a groundswell of support that has developed sort of organically about this guy. Um, and and I, I just think it'll be very difficult to make the case that you must start journeyman Case Keenan <laughs> over a first-round pick who you think is the future of the franchise. The only way you really truly can learn is by playing the games. And and that's, you know, and it's funny because the key word, and I'm sure you heard this too, that I've heard is patience, but nobody, you know, it's more about let's get them ready. And if it's for week one, it's for week one. Um, you know, and so you, you, you can see that going that way. I could see them maybe looking at the schedule and say, let's make sure he's ready. But what did you, what did you learn being around him? Because I sometimes think with Haskins that the more you're around him, I think there's probably a belief that develops even stronger. Right. So um, let's take that into multiple parts, which is a good question, John. Uh, first, what I learned and saw was during practice and then after practice, there seemed to be a confidence in the way Jay Gruden looked, looked at Haskins, interacted with Haskins, that he really liked what he saw with Haskins. Now, Haskins was beginning just taking the infant steps, the baby steps, recalling the nomenclature of Jay Gruden's, you know, albeit here, you know, the, the, the offense was chopped down for Haskins in the first mini camp practices, but he still got to learn the verbiage and the nomenclature. So Jay Gruden was giving him the words, and then Haskins was repeating them by rote or memory. And as I watched that take place, I could see Gruden gaining confidence because that, that part of the job is not easy. As you, you may remember and recall, even Chris Sims having difficulty, you know, spinning it out of the huddle to John Gruden. It's the same offense. It's the same nomenclature. It's the same verbiage. That's a very famous video on NFL right. Films. I remember that. So I think that, I think that Jay Gruden gained confidence. And when I talked to Jay Gruden after he stepped off the podium, I, I asked him point blank. I said, what did you see initially? And he talked a lot about how hard it is to memorize in the huddle, especially for a guy who didn't call very many plays in the huddle at all at Ohio State, spit them out and execute them. And then execute them with, uh, you know, velocity in his arm. He was spinning the football. So that's one. Two, I like Taskins. I just like them. You can, you can have an instant like for a guy. You can mm -hmm. see. He's got a real quiet confidence about him. He does. There's no braggadocio about him. Uh, he's just very a confident young man. And, and, you know, it's funny that you say that about Jay because having been here for a while and having covered the whole Robert Griffin III situation and Gruden trying to work with him, I've seen more, um, I guess this sound corny, but a twinkle in Jay's eye when he talks more about Haskins and the potential that he has. So I think that comfort level is developing with him. And, and you know, as far as, like, you talked to Doug Williams as well, what did you glean from, from your conversation with him? Well, Doug is under, understands intrinsically, having gone through the fire of it, what it's like to play in the NFC East, what it's like to play in Washington, D.C. I said to him, Doug, other than the President of the United States and the Speaker of the House, the quarterback of the Washington Redskins is the most scrutinized job in the nation's capital. And he said, oh, yeah, I know. I lived through it. And I've got to get that across to Dwayne Haskins. 
And I think Dwayne Haskins is going to be okay with it for a number of reasons. He knows he's been around this, you know, environment for a long time, having grown up and around the Washington D.C. area. He's, you know, he's his parents are locked in on him. See, a lot of reporters don't like it, John, mm-hmm. when the parents are locked in on a guy, and that sort of shields him right. uh, to the point where they can't get anything out of him. That may be bad for us, but that's really good for a player, I yeah. think especially a young player coming into this situation. Now, there are caveats. I've seen where it's gone overboard. Mark Sanchez in New York was a very good example. His brother Nick was around all the time, and his dad was around, and they coddled him. And as a result, and I'm not out of school saying this, the Jets PR department coddled Mark Sanchez. I don't see that with Tony Wiley and the Redskins. I think that Tony Wiley has figured out and he's got to let Haskins be Haskins, and it's oh, it's going to be good enough. Right, I agree with that. It, you know, Tony Wiley does not, and the Redskins do not have to parent Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins' parents are doing just a good enough job, a fine job, a great job of parenting Dwayne Haskins on their own, and the Redskins do not need to do that. Where the Jets did that, and I think they made a mistake. Um, how do you see the Redskins right now fitting into the NFC East? Well, you know, John. You look at the NFC East, and with the exception of the Cowboys, the three other teams are in a state of upheaval or change at the most important position, being quarterback. Let's go through it. Right. I'm here in Philly. Carson Wentz, fractured back, coming back from a knee injury, hasn't played since December. Don't know when he's going to get back on the field fully, and when he does, how long he will last. That's a big, fat question mark on a team that made the postseason two years in a row and doesn't have a suitable backup. Big, 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 big question mark. Giants are transitioning, as we all know, from Eli. I'm going to their first OTA uh, uh, next Monday, and Eli's expected to talk. And that dynamic's going to be interesting because Eli wants to play in 2020, John, Hmm. and he does not have a contract beyond 2019. I have talked to his agent, and Eli wants to play in 2020. So he is determined to do that. And I've seen video of him working out at Summit High School with Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard and some other people recently, and he is trimmed down, and he is determined to be in great shape and play at a high level. And when you look at it, the Giants led the division in points scored last year, even though they finished with only five wins. So, uh, you know, they, they did change their offense enough so they got better even without Odell Beckham Jr. on the you know people forget Odell Beckham Jr. missed 16 games right. in the last two years he's only played half a season in the last two years so that's an interesting dynamic and and the, I think the Dallas Cowboys are set up to to really be in a position I think to do well at the beginning of the season because they had stability at wide receiver with Cooper at running back with Elliott and quarterback with Prescott with, with Carson Wentz, you're obviously very close to that situation. There was that story that came out earlier this offseason about, you know, what people there thought about him. What did you hear about that whole situation, and how is that aspect of, of his relationship with the Eagles? Right, and the story was in phillyvoice.com. Right, thank you, yes. And Yeah, and, and the headline was that Carson Wentz is a selfish player, and that has hurt his relationship with his teammates. Hey, John, that's BS. Carson Wentz is not a selfish person. And he's not a selfish player. Carson Wentz was forced to rehab by himself. And the dynamic, you know, of that is difficult 
when you have a team uh, coming off a Super Bowl win. It was unprecedented. They'd never been in those kind of uncharted waters before with that franchise uh, and that team. So it was a difficult situation for Carson to go through. Carson's a good guy and a good teammate and hardworking. Is he Nick Foles? No, he's not. But people need to stop expecting Carson Wentz to be Nick Foles. They're totally two different personalities. From a personality standpoint and a team work standpoint, team, I think Carson's going to be more than fine. I think he's going to be mm-hmm. great. The problem is, John, his body's got to hold right. up, John. Right. How how concerned are do you think? How concerned do you think the Eagles are about that aspect? I mean, there's there have been issues. Well, I think their level of concern is sustained because they haven't seen him playing in games since December. It's one thing to go out there in helmets and shorts and twerk around your midsection from a vertebrae injury and throw the football around. It's a whole different story. We all know it when somebody's driving their helmet into your ribs. Sal, I have one last question for you, and this is, and I don't know if you've even seen this because it's breaking on Twitter as we're talking, and Adam Schefter tweeted out that the Jets had fired Mike McCagnin, and I guess they're naming Adam Gase as the acting GM. Are you surprised by that move, and how hard is it? Well, first, let's start with that. Are you surprised by that move? Uh, I am because of the way that Gase angrily shot it down. Right. So not only is McCagnin fired, but it calls into question Adam Gase's credibility. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. How hard is it for a guy, because now he's the acting GM, for a coach to be the acting GM, you know, your first year at a new place, how hard is that? Pretty hard. I, I guess Brian Heimerdinger, who's the vice president of player personnel, has also been fired. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, that's a house-cleaning situation. That's a wow. It's a big wow. That's a, that's a really big it's wow. It's a big wow. You know, the last time I looked, the Jets haven't really made much noise in the AFC East. And, you know, not Belichick on the field. and Brady, they are coach and GM killers, aren't they? Yeah. Man, oh, man. <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, maybe, maybe Brian Flores bucks that trend down in Miami, so he seems like he's got yeah, some. Yeah, he got to hire one to, you know, to yeah. make it work. There you uh, go. They, the Jets did try that with the former Patriots staffer as the head coach who turned on them. And oh, Mangini. Them on, Mangini. On, uh, Mangini. Eric Mangini, yeah. Eric Mangini turned on them on, on, uh, on Spygate. But, you know, um, I like Brian Flores a lot, but you can't beat – uh, Tom Brady with Brian Flores. You got to beat Tom Brady with a quarterback. There you go. Uh, and, I, and that's 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 what they don't have. Sal, listen, I appreciate your time. Always enjoy listening to you, watching you on ESPN. It's it's been it's been great. Thanks a lot. Call anytime. Thanks, John. Thanks, Sal. Welcome back. And in a few minutes, I'm going to play you an interview I had with Ryan Kerrigan earlier in this week from his golf tournament to benefit the Leukemia Foundation. The main topic, rookie linebacker Montez Sweat. He made a very interesting comparison to his physical stature, a guy that that Sweat reminded him of. But first, I'm going to bring in my guy, Bram Weinstein, talk about some of the other Redskins players. And Bram, you, you may have some questions for me about the rookie minicamp before we get into some topics that I, that some fans on Twitter want to see addressed. Um, 
he didn't compare Montez Sweat to me, right? That, that's not, <laughs> not the comparison he made? No, no. no. <laughs> I don't have quite the build? No. Uh, yeah, more than anything, I mean, you talked about it on the pod a few days ago, but now that I have you in person here, um, can you just kind of give me a sense? Because I, I think everybody wants to know this. Dwayne Haskins' first impression was, was what for you? First impression was that, and I've said this, but he's got a presence out there. And I know it's rookie minicamp. And, you know, and someone else said it, told me on Twitter, it's like, well, he should, shouldn't he? Well, yeah, he should. But it's the size. And I think it's the way he throws the ball. I think he's going to stand out even in a veteran minicamp for those reasons. And I think the other thing, and, and this was in, in the interview with Doug Williams I did the other day, as he said, the ball gets from point A to point B real fast. Wasn't always on target because it's a rookie minicamp. Now, some of the stuff I saw in terms of that, we saw at Ohio State. But some of that is you're throwing to guys who aren't making the roster. You're, you're not always clear on the routes and all that. So there's some other things going on. But the arm talent is there. It's not that he has some howitzer. It's that he has, throws a very nice ball, a very clean ball. And I think that kind of jumped out, too. All right, so give me a read on this one, too. And, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago after the draft where I said, here's what's going to happen. He's going to start in week one. And Jay Gruden immediately came out and, of course, was asked about all of this stuff. And he, he wasn't particularly vague about it. He basically just said if he progresses the way that he expects, that he's going to have that opportunity right in front of him to do so. So where are we on this? Is this kind of a foregone conclusion that he's really going to be anointed in as a starter? I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, at least on the football side of the equation. How others in the organization are, I don't know. But I know from that end, and I actually talked to Gruden about this after the press conferences and all that. And that was my, you know, how are you going to know that he should be in the conversation? And he said the next, really the next month is going to tell them a lot. How he progresses through the OTAs, through the mini camp. Is he at a point where he, that he can really legitimately push the other quarterbacks? Because it's not just about learning a new offense. It's about learning a new offense and the nuances of the NFL. And that's where the 14 starts come into play, that inexperience. But I think so the next month will tell the, tell the coaches a lot about how they can proceed in training camp. Is he a legitimate contender to beat out these guys for week one? Or is he somebody that they're going to have to be patient with? Okay, so when Jay says it, and you know this, and there's a difference here. Is he saying this because he knows this is what the front office wants to hear him say? Or does he really believe what he is saying? Oh, which, think, is, which is, I do really like what I see. I do think he could fast track. I do think he could be the starter here. I, well, I definitely think he can be the starter here. It's just a matter of when. And I think so. I definitely believe that he knows that patience is needed here. They really, they, they really do like him. And, you know, you talk to people there, it's like the, the words ridiculous upside come out when you're talking to them. And I know, and I actually have a story on this coming up. I thought it was coming out today, but it's going to be Sunday, I guess, on some of the things they liked about him pre-draft. And one of the things that Gruden talked about was, you know, any rookie quarterback in this draft who's going to be going high should go up on the board and be impressive because otherwise you're not going up there. But I think he stood out in that area. But it was also from the standpoint of one of the things they wondered about was you see quarterbacks in college looking over at the sidelines, right? How much are you getting from the coach? When you, you, know, you take a step back, you look over the sideline, are the coach, are the, is the coach relaying everything you have to do to you, which makes it very easy for the quarterback? So one of the things they liked is that Haskins had more ability to change protections, to get them out of certain um, plays if, if they depend based on the scheme or the coverages and all that. So he's had to do some of those NFL-type things already. 
So I think that helps him. So I think they like the mental part of his game. But I still think that they know that patience is required. I've heard that word patience from multiple people. I think they just don't want to rush him. And to me, the key for him is be ready for a good career. I don't care about week one. Get him ready for a good career. Yeah, and I don't know if you really broached on job security yet with Gruden. If, if it's the time is now to do that, obviously. It's come up. Yeah, okay, all right. Because – I hear this stuff, and I'm cynic with all this stuff, all right? So I hear this stuff, and I go, "We know he, that. he is saying, right, he's saying what the front office is essentially either telling him to say or what he thinks that they need to say, and yet his survival is based on how the team performs, right? So I don't know whether he thinks it's a good thing that this guy starts because that's what the front office wants, or if he's really going to end up with Case Keenum as his quarterback because he thinks it's his best chance to win, at least initially. I don't know where he is on all of that. It's just complicated, it feels like, for him. It is, and it hasn't – and here's what I can – here's what I know. First of all, I think it depends on who you talk to in the front office about when this kid might be ready because I don't even think there's a, an agreement there about when you should play him. And I think, like, in, even in Doug's case, I think they know, like, you got to let this play out. And so I think there's a faction that says that. There's the other side that says, listen, we know that he has to learn a lot of things here. So they're okay with him taking time. Now, if you're talking about the ownership and Bruce Allen, I don't know their thoughts because I haven't talked to them about this. So I don't know. We all know that, that the owner really liked him. He's not the only person who liked him, but he really liked him. And you know, we, we know how it's gone here in the past. I think that's always something you wonder about. And I would say that people in the other side of the building wonder about that as well. But I think from Jay's perspective, one of the things that, you know, you heard about this split before the draft about, you know, the Daniel Jones or this guy or that guy. I think one of the concerns for some of the, on the football side is if you trade up to get this guy, what are you giving up to get him? And then how, that's where then you say you just mortgaged right now for the future and how that's going to play out. Now, I think the other thing is, um, getting Montez Sweat, I think, helps take some of that that thought of, I didn't get anybody to help me right now win. They did get a guy who can help them win in Sweat. And then you that buys you some time to, you know, you got a first-round pick who's going to help you now, and you got a first-round pick you're going to really have to develop. So the Case Keenum thing, to me, is a, he's a vastly important player because if his play can help keep him back, I think Darius Geis, if he performs, helps allows the quarterback then to d develop because you don't need that guy as much. So you can have a guy like Case Keenum in there. So I do think that Jay knows that patience is, is best here for him and for the, and for the kid. I mean, listen, Doug can't answer this question directly, and I don't even know if you would ask him something like this, but since you had him on the other day and you're getting first impressions of Dwayne Haskins, I'll just ask you, do you think Doug Williams wanted to pick Dwayne Haskins to be the franchise quarterback of the Washington Redskins? Do you think, I do do you think, think that. that was his feeling about it, or was he pushed in that direction? No, I, th I, think, I, think, that's, I, think, I think Doug probably, I think Doug wanted him, yeah. I would, I would yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it, it, the fact that it's all so confusing is really what's what's interesting it, about this team consistently. It is, is. That you don't really know what anyone's thinking or whether they're all working in conjunction with one another. I but they also never clarify things like that, and that's no. partially on their their own fault for leaving it nebulous like that. It, it is. It, it, it absolutely is. And you know, it's funny because going along those lines, I'm going to bring up a topic because I did ask for on Twitter some topics that they want us to approach. And one of them is from, is it James Cowan? I think his name is. Hey, John, if Haskins works out, will that mean the organization has turned the corner on years of dysfunction? <laughs> That's a great segue there, James. So I think what, you know, if Haskins works out, 
they win. Because if he's playing well, they're going to win. So that winning helps um, cure some of that. But I still think like you went into this offseason, what you kept hearing is you need to be on the same page. And, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But I don't know that, you know, that it's going to cure everything because you still have aspects of that organization that will always feel dysfunctional. You know that. Um, but winning changes everything. Yeah, a lot hinges on him. And, yeah. and again, I'll, I'll just say this again, just really as a fan now, I hope he wins. I mean, I hope he's good. You know, I hope for their sake. But, you know, it's one of those things where you go, who knows who wants what there because they never seem to be clearly in lockstep with one another. And that's the hardest part about dealing with them. And when you, Very, when you cover them and watch them and just see how they function as an organization, it always leaves this kind of, I don't know who wants what, who politically needed to do this, who's saying this because they think they're supposed to say this. Well, let like, me say that's this. the whole thing. If like, Haskins works out, we're going to hear that everybody liked him. Right. I guarantee it. Just like when Robert didn't work out, it became a, well, you know, we really, you know, we had this. Or, you know, now with McNabb, you heard right away that some people didn't want him. They thought he was done. Um, but you, so you always hear it after the fact based on how it plays out. So I think winning will solve it. It's not just, but see, here's the thing. It's not just Haskins for the draft. I think if, if you get guys like Sweat, if Sweat, if that health, if that heart thing is not an issue, and it's funny because I talked about this the other day, I did hear that another team took them off the board because they had concerns. The Redskins did not. They've taken guys off the board for their own concerns. They felt okay with him here. But having said that, like, so if he pans out, if Bryce Love stays healthy, if, if one of the receivers pans out, that's what also helps cure that because you're going to have some messed up situations in a lot of front offices, especially when you lose. That stuff all comes out. But when you win, then you're able to bury some of that. So at least the appearance is that things are okay because you're finally winning. So, I mean, look at the Steelers. They, they for years, you know, you think one thing and then this offseason, it just feels like they're the dysfunctional group. Or the Giants. Or I, the I thought Giants. I would never think this. Right. That the Giants and the Steelers are dysfunctional organizations, but the Giants appear that way right now. And the Steelers, I don't know, I, they just don't seem to be in the modern commerce of the NFL where they're unwilling to pay certain people certain amounts of money, even though they might be literally the best at their positions in the primes of their careers. So I, I don't know where they are anymore. Right. And so now the other thing, I'm going to wrap this up, but I want to turn to another topic because I did ask for topics on Twitter. A lot of people talked about the offensive line. Before I'm going to get into that, one guy had a question near and dear to my heart, which is charcoal or gas. And you, <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to ask that question. It's charcoal. Of course. It's charcoal all the way. I used to be a gas guy because I wanted to save the time. I switched several years ago, and I'd never looked back. To me, the question is, what kind of charcoal are you using? What type of wood are you using your smoker? Charcoal or gas, that's an easy call. Charcoal. Period. All right. Now, offensive line, again, because multiple people asked about this and where they are there. And my quick take on that, because there's so much. The hardest thing at the rookie minicamp is to look at the offensive line. So Wes Martin, can he challenge at left guard? I have no clue based on what we saw this weekend because they're in shorts and a T-shirt. With the offensive line, you have to wait until they get into pads in training camp, you start to see one-on-one. -on -one. You start to see the run the run game blocking um, during drills or whatever. It's really hard to focus on that now to know if he's going to be a serious contender at left guard or not. 
Eric Flowers clearly going to get the first shot at that job because they're paying him to be that guy. He cost a million and a half if they, if he doesn't make the team, so they're paying him to get that first shot. But I do think Wes Martin will have a shot at that. I just have no clue where he's really at because all I can see is what he did on film. And there's an attitude thing there that I like that he blocks with. Um, but part of the knock on him is how well does he move? We'll see. That's what we're going to see in training camp. Then the other question then becomes Trent Williams and Morgan Moses and their health. That I, you know, That's a hard one to answer because we don't know. Brandon Sheriff's health. If he's healthy and those guys are healthy, that's, I think, a good line. I think the other key here, Bram, is to is the play of Darius Geis can make a line look better. And one of the things, like, I remember talking to um, one of the Falcons coaches. I don't remember if it was, it was Kyle Shanahan or if it was Matt LaFleur when he was there. But they talked about the running backs they had. You know, the Tevin Cole, you know, Coleman and, and – um, Deontay Freeman. Love him. <laughs> I forgot. Devontae. I love him so much. I forgot him. Fre- Devontae yeah, Freeman. Yeah, Devontae. Yeah. But I really like him. But the key was they said you watch them block. Said, it's not that these guys are blocking better. It's that they're making guys miss. And Geis gives you that ability to make a guy miss and then hit a home run. Peterson still can do that to a degree, not to the same level. So that's going to help the offensive line as well. Um, but as far as the overall group and Martin, I don't know yet if he what he's going to do. Let's, I think that's the better question for training camp. Um, the health is obviously the key there. Now, coming up, my talk with Ryan Kerrigan talking about Montez Sweat. Welcome back. And earlier this week, I had a chance to interview Ryan Kerrigan at his golf tournament to benefit the Leukemia Foundation. Here is our quick talk about Montez Sweat. We're here for your golf tournament, so I want to get to that in a minute. But first, I want to start with the guys who are at it, Montez Sweat. And just, you had said earlier that you, you just met him earlier. Mm-hmm. What, what was your first impression of him? Just his size. I mean, he's an imposing dude. And, I mean, like the one person that kind of came to mind, and this isn't a, a playing thing, but like, Julius Peppers. I remember meeting Julius Peppers and like just meet, seeing how big he was in person. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that dude's big. That was like my first. That was kind of my first impression of him was in terms of size. But then to know how fast and athletic he is too is is pretty remarkable. And one thing that I I you know I respect about him too is that he has the production to match. Because you see a lot of guys that you know get drafted and you see some of their like like blips and they'll be like, oh, he had you know only he had like a couple sacks in his you know career and it's like well and like why, why is he getting picked so high but then so Montez has the production to match his freakish athletic ability which I think is key and you know how hard it is to come in as a pass rusher in this league what is the biggest thing that got I know he's a different player than you but you still have to get used to rushing the passer what is the biggest thing a young pass rusher has to get used to coming in the NFL I would say not relying on your on your athleticism so much because that was one thing I in coming into the league had to you know kind of learn because in college, I mean, oftentimes I just relied on speed and then power. So it was, it was, you know, it was it, your technique wasn't as it wasn't as vital as it is in the NFL. Whereas now you need to take better lines, to, the better better lines to the quarterback, and kind of minimize that time, minimize that distance, rather than just running a big hoop around a guy. You got to kind of take the fight to him and work around him, and, and that takes that comes with technique and practice. Now, when when we talked to him on draft night, we asked him if, if you talked to Ryan Kerrigan. I think he thought you were a coach at first. Did he know who you were this time? I mean, damn, I'm, I know I'm going on year <laughs> nine, but a coach now. But now, but I uh, I texted him a couple of days after the draft. I said welcome and. 
look forward to working with him because I do. He's, uh, you know, I think no matter how old I am in the league or, you know, how young he is, we both can learn from each other. And, I mean, some things you, you can't take from him, like being able to run a 4-4. Right. I don't think I'll be able to do that, but I'm sure there's, you know, as we as we conti- as we start working together, there'll be things that we all that we both can take from one another. It was, it was, uh, it was very quick this morning. I mean, it was we had a meeting and then I had to I had to jet over here, so it was uh, not yet, but I mean, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get going soon. Last thing is about the golf tournament. What is this the leukemia golf this golf tournament that you um, run? What does it mean to you? means a lot. I've got to develop a lot of great relationships with a lot of people involved over the years, meet some people with some pretty remarkable stories, and um, it's uh, it's amazing what the Leukemia Lymphoma Society is able to do for blood cancer research and, and finding a cure. I mean, it's, uh, the, the, just 15 years ago, they said the cure rate was about 20%, and now that's completely flipped. It's about 80% cure rate, which is remarkable and is owed in large part to the work that LLS does. Thanks, Ryan. All right, well, that's it. Thank you for listening. As always, next week, the OTA start will be out there, and I'll have some reports from how the Redskins are looking. Thanks a lot.